I mean, I, meant to, I, I like to make mention every week, thank, thankful for those who lead us in the singing part of our worship, because that's such a crucial part of it, and last week I forgot to do it, but, so if I didn't say your name last week, I'm sorry about that. Uh, anyway, I had a, when I was in pastor in Arkansas, I had, I kept a glass of water on the, on the pulpit, you know, and I put a glass of water up here, and this water will be here for a couple weeks, because I don't drink the whole thing, but I don't ever change the water, I just... I just never change the water, right? I just drink the same water till it's all gone. Then I, you know, so whatever lands in it, I think is the providence of God. <laughs> so, but this kid in the church one time, Zachary, I said, I ran out of water mid-sermon, you know. I said, Zachary, would you run back there and get me a glass of water? And he said, sure. And he came back and he walked back in the auditorium with the biggest grin, trying to keep it straight, you know, trying to hold his face together. And he set it down there, and I said, thank you, Zachary. And I'm preaching along, and, and, I, and I look at that cup, and I thought, there's something wrong with that glass, because he's making a funny face when he brought that in. And so I went as long as I could. Finally, I had to get a little sip of water, and when I tipped it up, I could smell Sprite. <laughs> he, wanted, he was expecting to get a big reaction out of me, like a blah, you know, or some kind of thing, but I didn't give in to him. I just uh, didn't let him know. After church, he was so upset. Didn't that taste like Sprite? I said, no. <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's take our copies of God's Word and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll read verses 1 to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, um, right after Romans, right after 1 Corinthians, actually. If you have a Bible like mine, it might be on page 995. If you don't have a Bible like mine, I have one I'll sell you after the service. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning about groaning our way to glory. Groaning our way to glory. Being a Christian is wonderful. It's wonderful to be a Christian. But the best part of being a Christian is in the future. The best part of being a Christian is in the future. But until that day, we live with a fairly perpetual groaning sound, either from our mouths or inside where no one can hear. Not everybody complains on the outside. Some of us do a lot of it on the inside. My aim today is to help us understand the cause of this groaning and to see how God is helping us as we move towards eternal glory. Let's read God's word and then... I'll give you this sermon. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan. And are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him. 
whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And we trust the Lord will add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. Groaning. What causes us to groan? We are Christians. We've been born again. We've been given this divine nature from heaven. So what is it that causes us to groan? Why is life on, on this side of the sun, why is it so miserable sometimes? Well, the first reason is because our body that we have in is a fading thing. It's a fading thing. If you want to take your Bible, you could turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You could read verses 1 to 7 where Solomon, in poetic form, describes all the things that are going to go wrong with you if you live long enough. (laughs) In a poetic form, he's very tactful. (laughs) Very tactful. But he describes, and in chapter 12, verse number 1, Solomon says to everyone, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come, in which you will say, I have no pleasure in these days. I'm 43 years old. I got to say that this old, this old tent <laughs> doesn't work as good as it used to. And if I get hurt, it takes longer to heal up. And that I care more about the comfort of a shoe than the way it looks. <laughs> so, we're, this body we have is fading. It's going to plague us with difficulties. Clarence Sexton, a pastor in Tennessee, he says that the fading of our body is a grace of God. You're like, how can that be a grace, a gift of God? He says because it reminds us day after day, moment after moment, that we have an appointment with God. And if you're a Christian, it reminds you you have an appointment with God, and that's going to be a wonderful appointment. You're going to be with him, with him. If you're not a Christian, you're going to have an appointment with God too, but you're not going to be with him. It's going to be something very bad. So we groan because this body that we have is a fading vessel. It's a fleeting thing. And then this natural body is not only fading, this natural body is sinful. If you turn to Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, you can read there how Paul describes his own personal struggle with the flesh, with the fallen nature. And he says that there is, I want to serve God with the law of my mind. In my mind, I want to do the things that God wants me to do. I want to do the right things. But then he says, I find then there is another law written in my body, written in my members, so that the things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I should not do, I do. That great controversy where you with your, with you with your soul, with your mind, with your spirit, you want to serve God, but your body seems to resist you doing that. Now, I've been going to church on Sunday mornings my whole life. My dad was ordained in October 1978 to be a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he's been dragging me to church my whole life. And then I finally, you know, became a Christian myself, and I've been dragging my family to church their whole lives. And by God's grace, I'm going to keep on dragging them here until, they all, until all the kids move out, and then I'll drag Valerie to church. <laughs> or maybe she drags me to church. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not certain. 
sinful. You, you don't always want to go to church, do you? When you, even when you know you should. I mean, you wake up every day and go, I mean, I can't wait to read my Bible, can't wait to pray. Is that a, and sometimes it's, you're like that. Sometimes it's not like that. We kind of ebb and flow in our Christian life. I can say <laughs> with complete honesty that there's been some days when I have not wanted to go to, go to church because I just didn't feel like it. I read a book one time. Do you got, if, I, if I said the name Pearl S. Buck, how many of you would know that name? Pearl S. Buck. And, and she wrote that famous book, The Good Earth. She was, she was the daughter of Christian missionaries in China. She became an agnostic later in life. She was actually excommunicated from the Orthodox Presbyterian Church under the leadership of J. Uh, Machen. What was his name, his full name? I think it was just Machen was his last name. She was excommunicated from their denomination because for a while she served as one of their missionaries, but she was, became a, an atheist missionary. She didn't believe in God anymore, the atonement of Christ. She, she became so, so twisted, and she wrote a book. And in, in this book, it's a, I can't remember the name of it. I, haven't, I still own it. But in the book, she presents God in such a negative light that everything God gives to us that we love, he takes away. That was, the, that was the overall theme of the book. And I read that book at a time in my life when I was going through some really bad times. And when you're going through bad times, you've got to be careful what you listen to on the radio and <laughs> what you watch on TV when you're going through bad times. You guys remember that song by uh, uh, The Cats in the Cradle? You know, what a depressing song that is, especially when you have kids and you start thinking about all the times you've missed with them. And then uh, Glenn Campbell, he had a song before he died where he says, I'm not going to miss you because he has Alzheimer's. He's losing, he's losing his memory. He talks about, I'm not going to miss you. Just very sad. Or Jimmy Buffett's Oceans of Time. I mean, there's all, all these songs, all these things you can listen to that can get you down. And I read that book, and I was so down. I went to church that Sunday. I gave my sermon, and, man, my heart wasn't in it. And I felt so rotten the whole time because I was really going through difficult moments. Your Christian life is going to build. You're going to go through bad times. Your body is going to fight you. Your flesh, that fallen nature, is going to plague you. And we groan because we get tired of committing sins. We know we shouldn't do these things, but it keeps coming back and coming back. And there's a law, Paul says, that our, our primary program is to do sins. There's this controversy within us. So we groan because our body is fading, and we groan because our body is sinful. But Paul says here that we will have a heavenly body, a more glorious body. In 1 John chapter, 1, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, it says that when Jesus appears, we shall know him because we will be like him. Like him. We'll be fashioned into a glorious being. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 49 to 58 Paul describes the heavenly body. He talks about how there is different kinds of flesh. There's, heavenly, there's earthly flesh and there's heavenly flesh. And he says that even though this body we have is going to die, we will be resurrected from the dead and be given a new and glorious body, which will never fade away. But only a born-again person is going to get a new body. So let me ask you a question. Are you a born-again person this morning? Have you been... Have you passed from death unto life? Have you come to know that Jesus is your Savior? 
Have you come to know that you are a sinner and that you have no righteousness of your own? And have you turned to Jesus for cleansing? You say, well, what gives you the right to say that in a Christian church? We're all here. We're all Christians. Obviously, we're all believers. We're here, aren't we? 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul said to the Corinthian church, a church that he recognized as a true, authentic congregation of Jesus Christ, he said to them, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. It's not my job to examine you to see if you're saved or not, to see if you're a Christian. I'm not supposed to go around fruit inspecting. If you follow me around, I guarantee on some days you might find enough evidence to convict me of not being a Christian. Ask Valerie. (laughs) Ask my kids. They'll tell you. We're not supposed to examine one another, we're supposed to examine ourselves, but so many, so, so many times in the Christian church what we do is we get looking at other people. We look at the wrong spot. Paul says examine yourself. So I ask you this morning, are you sure that you're a Christian? Examine yourself. You say, well, how would I do that? Where would I begin? How do I know? That kind of thing. Well, the question could be, you could ask it in one question. You could say, do you love Jesus? Your attitude towards him reveals a lot about you. Jesus. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Paul says. Our groaning. How long are we going to be groaning down here on this earth? As long as we're here. (laughs) As long as we're here. As long as we're here. Verses 5 to 8. There's a guarantee. We are in a tangible body. And we are in a physical world. And the result of this environment is we think that that our senses, they scream at us. And the world we live in, it all says to us that this is all there is. And this is all there ever will be. But here I am telling you, there's going to be another realm. There's going to be a more glorious body to come. But how do we know that? How do we know that our groanings are going to be changed into eternal rejoicings? How can we be sure of that? It's in verse number 5. I thought the NIV was so cool here because in uh, the outline was easy in verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan. I like an outline with all the same letters, you know, what's it called? Alliteration. In verse number 5, we have a guarantee. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the, the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Our guarantee. How, how, what, what is our promise that we will be changed from this body into another body? We are guaranteed that because God has given to us the Holy Spirit. God has given Christians, He's given believers the Holy Spirit as a good faith offering of what He has promised that it will come to pass. He's given you the Holy Spirit. When you, if you ever bought a car, you go down to the car lot and you make a deal, or you're buying a house, and if you're serious about your offer, what do they want you to give? Earnest money, a deposit. Well, God has said, I'm going to give you a new and glorious body. I'm going to change you from what you are. And we say, okay, how do we know, how do we know that? He said, here's my assurance to you that you're going to be changed. He gives you the Holy Spirit. I've been a Baptist my whole life, and I can say this, that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the Baptist church. 
because we're so afraid of, you know, becoming Pentecostals or something. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, he's, he's a gift. He's a gift. And I can hear some of you saying in your mind, you know, what does that mean exactly? He's given us the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And probably there may be some other person saying in their mind, so what? So what? Well, friends, we are in a body that is failing. We have minds that are corrupted, and to put it bluntly, we are all messed up. You see, you and I are like a car that has rolled down the boat ramp into Lake Huron. But we've been pulled out of the lake, and we've dried out. All the stinks have gone away, but we're still messed up because our computer got all wet. We work, but we don't work quite right. There's a lot of things that we cannot do for ourselves, And so God has given us the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you eight things the Holy Spirit does for you that you cannot do for yourself. And God has done this because he is so merciful. He is so merciful, he has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us and to help us who are in this fading sinful body. These are eight things. Number one, the Holy Spirit causes the new birth. You are born again because of the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of your power. You, your mother and dad came together and conceived you. You had nothing to do with it. The new birth is the same way. He saves you. He regenerates you. He, he brings you into life. You say, well, I thought I did it when I called upon him. Listen, you did. <laughs> it all works together. Faith and regeneration, these things take place simultaneously. There's a logical sequence to it, just like there's a logical sequence to a bullet entering your body. <laughs> I've never been shot. Some of you may have been shot. But you know, when you get shot... What touches you first? The very tip of the bullet, right? And then it's all going to come through you. But you, you, you can't tell that there's a logical sequence to it, can you? That it pierces the epidermis <laughs> through that fatty layer into the muscle. You can't discern that, but you know what happened to you. Salvation is the same way. A lot of things took place when you called upon the Lord, and he saved you, and the Holy Spirit was the cause of that. And that's John 3, verse 8. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. John 16, verse 13. The Holy Spirit, he points out error. He points out error. It's John 16, verse 7. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray because we do not always know how to pray. Have you found yourself in that situation trying to pray with somebody or for someone? You think, how, how should I pray? What words exactly should I pray? Have you ever prayed the, wrong, the right thing the wrong way? Have you ever thought about those things? We have these warnings about not praying to consume a thing on our own lust. You have not because you ask not, and you have not because you ask amiss, because you're, you're praying just to have your own lust satisfied. You know, if I'm praying for food, dear Lord, please give me food, is that lust or not? It's a desire. Lust is basically desire. Think through these things. If you pray the wrong way, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Number five, the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to serve. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power 
after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Psalms 18.29, David says that by the Spirit of the Lord, by thy power, because of you, I have leaped over a wall and overcome a troop of soldiers. He empowers us to serve. Number six, the Holy Spirit, he assures us of salvation. That's Romans 8.16 and 1 John 4.13. He gives us the assurance of salvation. My dad's pastor, Tom Pullen, he used to describe assurance as, as something that would come later because people would come to church and they would hear the gospel. They would come forward and they would believe the promise of the gospel. They would trust in Jesus. Then they would, but they would walk out of church wondering if it worked. <laughs> Did that really take? Because think about it, my friends. Doesn't it seem kind of fantastic that all your sins past, present, and future, can be forgiven for all time and that you become righteous before God just because you said, Lord, I believe. What else do you get for words like that? It, it's, it, it's, it's out of this world. It's silly to us. But that's exactly what happens. Through faith, you receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. And sometimes we, we wonder, did that really work? Now, let me ask you a question. Just, just, with, just with a big, loud amen. How many of you feel 100% certain you'd go to heaven when you die? Would you say amen? amen. <laughs> that's, a lot, that's a lot of voices. You know why those people can say that? You know why I think I can say that? Because the, the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.16 says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. It works in us. Sometimes it takes us a while to, to, to rest. To rest. Hebrews says that we should labor to enter into rest. <laughs> labor to enter into rest. It's hard just to rest sometimes. We've had different issues with the kids. You know, the, the kids are sick. And they're like, oh, I'm <coughs> they're, they're dying, you know. And you give them some medicine. And how fast do they want the medicine to work? Right now. How fast do you want the medicine to work? <laughs> but you say to them, look, it's going to happen. How long? How long? My mom used to say, an hour. <laughs> how long will it take this medicine to work? An hour. I was like, well, can I take it before I get sick? <laughs> that way it just kind of builds up. We have to rest in him. And the Holy Spirit, he assures us of our salvation. He'll give you that assurance. It's only going to be attained through the reading of Scripture for most people. Number seven, the Holy Spirit, he produces holy desires within us. It's Galatians 5, 2 Peter 1, verses 4 to 11. And then the Holy Spirit has given us Scripture, 2 Peter 1.21. These are all things that God has given to us through the Holy Spirit for us who are weak, faltering people. He's given it to us. We have the Holy Spirit. He is working within us. He is our helper. He is our helper. So that's our guarantee. God guarantees us this new body. Our comfort is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the third point. How should we, how should we therefore live? <laughs> how should we then live? To rip off Francis Schaeffer's statement. 
How should we live? We have to have a goal for our life. How many of you are goal-oriented people? Would you say amen? How many of you think goals are bad? Amen. (laughs) I'm not a goal-oriented person. I'm not a checklist person. I don't make a to-do list. And if I made a to-do list, I'd lose it. (laughs) Valerie has this little app she uses called Todoist. And you can put all your daily tasks in there. And, you know, you can, you can even move stuff to the next day. Well, she said, Terry, you need this. You should sign up for this. So I said, great. And so, man, I have it on my phone right now. And, I, and you know what? When I saw you could move stuff to the next day, <laughs> I just keep moving it to the next day. <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. But we all need kind of a big objective for our life. We kind of need a big purpose. Paul gives it to us here in verses 9 to 10. He says, so so we make it our goal to please him. This is our goal for life, to please Jesus. Not, Not a goal to live to please the pastor, to please the church, but a goal to please the Lord Jesus Christ. So while we are living in this body, living in this world, what should we be living for? What's the purpose? What's the mission? What's the point? The point is to please Jesus. That whether at home, in the body, or away from it, our desire is to please Him. My friends, I want to say to you, a life devoted to Jesus is 100% worth it, and you'll never, never, never regret one thing you've done for the Lord. You'll regret lots of things you did for yourself and lots of things you did for the devil. You should be living in devotion to Christ. You will never regret it. And here are four reasons. It's worth it because the results are eternal. My friends, what you do for Christ will last and last and last and last. The Apostle Paul, he wrote 2 Corinthians. It was a warm-hearted, loving letter to a Christian congregation. He wrote it over 1,500 years ago, and here we are reading it right now. Sermons preached. There was a pastor in England in the 17th century, named John Flavel, he preached a sermon on a Sunday morning. There was a 13-year-old boy sitting in the class named Luke Short in the service. 13 years old, Luke Short. He heard the message at 13 years of age, walked out of that church, never thinking again about God or Christianity or anything. And then the providence of God, he left England and immigrated to the United States of America. And when he was 100 years old, He was standing in his garden hoeing beans and that verse came back to his mind. He remembered the sermon and right there in his garden he called out to God and the Lord saved him. Well, John Flavel, he preached that sermon 85 years earlier and it still was producing enduring fruit. My friends, the things that you are doing in your life for God right now, you only think you know the impact, but you don't. Everything you do for Christ has eternal impact, has eternal value, eternal merit. No matter how insignificant or small it is, it matters. And it's going to matter forever. So serve God with your life. It's worth it. You say, oh, it doesn't feel like it's worth it. My friends, in the last day, when you stand before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
you'll find out that it's worth it. Worth it. Number two, there is no guilt or shame in serving the Lord Jesus. Have you ever done something and felt ashamed for it later? Is any real sinners here? (laughs) Feel bad about it later? There's no shame in serving the Lord. The world will try to shame you. Your friends will try to shame you. Family will try to shame you. But there will be no guilt from him for for serving him. It's impossible to serve him in vain. Fourthly, it's worth it to serve him because while there are incredible hardships, they will be outshined by eternal glory. There is a crown to be won, a reward to be received. So Christian friend, is it your goal to please him? Are you living your life to please him above all others? No, I'm not talking to people who are not here. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. Are you living to please him? If it's not your goal, if it's not the big purpose of your life to live for Jesus, to please him, then why is that? Why is it that you who claim to be a Christian are not concerned about it? There are two realities. One is that you're not really a Christian. There's a lot of people with Jesus on their lips but that's all it is, is just talk. No real Christianity, no real conversion in their life. Wouldn't it be awful for you to have lived your whole life telling people you're a Christian, but then in the last day for it to be revealed that you were not a Christian? Put your faith in Christ while you can. Do it now. Don't wait. The second reality might be that you as a Christian have just become overcome by sin, overcome by the flesh. Now, if it is your goal to serve Jesus, but you fail all the time at it, I want you to know that you're in great company. Every actual Christian, every Christian leader, every Christian pastor is a chronic failure at staying on mission always messing up we err so we should but we should re-continually repurpose ourselves recommit ourselves to serve the lord so we should live intentionally for jesus notice what paul says in verse 10 we should do this because we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Now, I'm quite certain that there will be disagreements with me about some of the things I'm going to say about what the judgment seat of Christ is. And if you disagree with me, that's cool. You're wrong. <laughs> you don't, Christian, if you're a Christian, you don't have to dread the last day. If you're a Christian, you don't have to dread the judgment seat of Christ. It's not something you should be really frightened of because that means the coming of the lord is actually terror for you if it's if it's going to be an examination of all your behaviors if you're going to, have to give a give an account for all the stuff you did you shouldn't do then i'm not looking forward to it when i was a kid me and my brother would make my mother nuts and she would say you wait till your dad gets home 
So all day long we're waiting. Dad's coming, dad's coming, dad's coming. She'd meet him at the door. And I don't know about you, ladies, but my mom had the ability to wind my dad up. Zing, 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 until he just boom. Because she would always say, I told those boys 400 times. That was her phrase, 400 times. Well, she never told us more than 10. <laughs> she was such a liar. But she, and then my dad would come in all wound up, you know, and he, we were not looking forward to it. My friends, you don't need to live in dread of meeting the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. All your sins were paid for, and you'll never face them again. All your suffering for sins will be faced right here because sins have natural consequences. You'll face them right here, but Jesus paid all the eternal consequences for it. And at the judgment seat of Christ, you will be rewarded for your service for the Lord. And I don't have time to talk about this today because I started to work it into this sermon, but I'm already right at quitting time. But there's about 10 things you can look forward to at the judgment seat of Christ. I might give that sermon next Sunday. The only problem with, this, with it is it's not my sermon. <laughs> it's a total ripoff from somebody else. And so is it okay to preach somebody else's sermon next Sunday? I'd like to fish or something this week. <laughs> but I guess I'll do that next. I'll rip it off next Sunday. I'll, I'll tell you who gave it afterwards and then. Or maybe not. If you guys really love it, I'll just say I wrote it. <laughs> the judgment is a wonderful thing for Christians. It will be a great day for you. But for the unbeliever, it's not going to be that great of a day. The unbeliever, the non-Christian, should live in constant dread of that day because when you face Jesus without faith, you're going to be damned to hell forever. Now let's talk about the fifth thing we'll be done, our glorious gospel. I'm just going to read this to you without comment. To any of you who have realized today that you are not a Christian, God has sent me here today to tell you something. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his, in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies or saves those who have faith in Jesus. And God did this for sinners. Here is a trustworthy saying that it deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you know you have sinned against God, then if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, no matter where they are, no matter what's in their past. For whoever will call upon him will be saved. That's God's promise to you. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you bless this sermon to our hearts. In Christ's holy name.
Amen.